to you. I am your vessel. I am your temple. Use these lips of clay as you so desire. I'll speak what you gave me or nothing at all. My trust, our trust is in the living God. And so each and every person is expecting. And we just thank you in advance that none will be disappointed. It's in the sweet name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Amen. And amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. Glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to the Most High God. You know, I, every day, every day, it's my desire just to, to know God more intimately, to be able to sense his unctions and hear his voice in just a more distinct way. Because I really believe we're in the last of the last days. I believe that with all my heart. And I believe that there's an assignment and a purpose each and every one of our lives. And I think too often we go about our days haphazardly and God is speaking to us. He said, my sheep know my voice and that a stranger's voice they will not follow. I believe I'm in the house of the Lord and I'm amongst a lot of sheep. And you too know his voice. And a stranger's voice, you will not follow. Does anybody other than me just sense the presence of God? Yeah. Is he speaking to you? Listen to what he's saying to you right now. Just take a moment. Let's just be quiet in the presence of God. Some of you are seeking answers. Get your answers. direction. He's giving you direction. It's right here. He's so intimate with us. You know his voice. He knows your voice. He numbered every hair on your head. Sometimes we rush God. We get in our prayer time and we have our agenda, don't we? And then we say amen and we rush out. And God's going, but wait, but wait. I wanted to tell you something, baby girl. I had something for you, big guy. Just hang on. We have to practice listening for the voice. Amen. Amen. To the uh, praise team and band, as always, thank you for ushering in the anointing. We appreciate you all very much. Thank you. Because I don't know about you guys, sometimes I come in here heavy. And I got work on my mind. Yes, I work for the church, but by golly, like everything, work can be work. And I have family things that I deal with too and sometimes I come in here and the praise team begins and I start meditating on the words and the burdens just start rolling off. Anybody else feel that way? Glory to God. 
so are we ready to move forward? It's hard to detach when you just sense that presence, but I know that I have an assignment, and I, I sense God saying, now's the time. And so for all the saints who are here, I think you all already know I am not Pastor Gregory, and I am not Pastor Trish. They are taking a much-needed vacation with their family, praise God. And then on top of that, this is what I think is so cool, Beans. I know y'all were at church Sunday, and y'all know they weren't at church Sunday, but y'all came out tonight anyway. So that tells me y'all are hungry for God. Y'all are not hungry for man, and that's huge. That's really huge. A lot of people haven't made that adjustment yet, but we're believing God that we'll all be there. Amen? All right. So, and then, hey, hubby. That's you. I said, hey, hubby. <laughs> you don't even know he's my husband. What are we going to do, y'all? Stretch your hands. Stretch your hands. <laughs> Amen. <coughs> Excuse me. Minister George started us off with an awesome pre-service prayer. I don't know if you all heard it, but he prayed for the service. Now, I know the man's anointed, and I know that you all joined in with him. And God heard you, so there's no need me praying again. Would everybody agree? Amen. So services prayed for. I pray for me to be yielded. It's time to take off. So our pastor gave me an assignment. He asked um, that I talk to the singles tonight as it relates to behaviors. But although our pastor gave me an assignment, so did God. And the two intertwined, I do believe, will be a blessing for everybody who's here. So if you will, turn to Galatians chapter 3, verses 26 through 29. That's where we're going to start I'm going to start in the New King, King James Version. Um, I'm one of those people that when I study the Word, I can look at four, five, six different translations. And so I just give you the one that really spoke to me, and I'll try to tell you where I am so that you're not confused. How about that? So is everyone there? It says, for you are all sons of God, all sons, daughters of God, through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ, have you put on Christ? There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are in Christ, if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. I started off there because sometimes I believe people think singles are second-class citizens. That Sometimes you even speak of yourselves as if you're second-class citizens. But I want to remind you that there is no difference in you than the married in the eyes of Christ. Marriage is not a better covenant than being just single with Christ. And being single with Christ is not a better covenant than also having a natural covenant. So I want to remind you that you are special in God's eyes, that he loves you, cares about you, wants the absolute best for you, fights for you every day. That he doesn't see you as less than or incomplete. He sees you as whole, complete, entire, lacking and wanting nothing. And so I'm not going to speak to the singles as if there's something wrong with you guys because there's nothing wrong with you. You're wonderfully and masterfully made. Always have been, always will be. I also started off that way because some singles need to make a shift in the way they see themselves. You know, when you go back to uh, the Israelites getting ready to go into the promised land, one of their biggest issues was they saw themselves as what? grasshoppers, and so they were. And so as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. So if you see yourself lacking or inferior or not whole, then I promise you, your behaviors will line up with that very way of thinking. So we're going to talk a lot today about behaviors as well. Um, I think most of you all know that I'm a mental health professional as well as a licensed, ordained minister. Everybody know that? If you didn't know it, raise your hand. See, okay, that's only one, two people. Everybody knew it. Three, okay, three, four. Y'all quit trickling. Everybody at one time. <laughs> but the overwhelming majority of people know that. And so Pastor's heart's desire was for me to share some of the knowledge that I have as a counselor 
and then couple that with what I also know as a minister of the gospel. Amen? All right. Um, So in regards to behaviors, singles, you actually have almost the exact same mandates as married people as it relates to behaviors. There's only one. Y'all can't have sex. That's it. And then all the singles were like, amen, right? And it's really funny because all of us in here are sexual beings from the babies all the way to the adults. We all are. But if I told you to list five things to identify yourself by, how many of you would write sexual being? No. You would write Christian. It's my earrings, isn't it? Y'all hear them? It stopped. Okay. You might write, thank you, babe. You might write uh, that you're a Christian, you're male, you're female. You might even identify what you do for a profession, a variety of other things. But I don't think there's anybody on here, in here who would write, I'm a sexual being. But think about how much we let that drive us, being married and or single. And nobody in here would identify that as one of your top five ways of identifying yourself. And so because of one thing, that is not permissible in the single state. People are driven by that in their entire behavior as a single person. Is that not amazing? And you're so much more than being a sexual being. Because in your mind, you're already identifying how you identify yourself. I know you are. Somebody's going, yep, I sure am. And now one of y'all said sexual being. Isn't that interesting? And so I would personally say that Singles might have more privileges than married folks because you kind of get to do a lot of things independent of somebody else's opinion other than Jesus Christ. Am I right? And I know the people who are singing, it's like, yeah, but we go home and we're by ourselves. Well, according to God, no, you're not. He said he'll never leave you, nor will he forsake you. All right? So you're never alone. But it's a time in your lives to explore what your purpose is to identify what your joys are, what makes you happy. You are recognized nobody is pursuing happiness, right? There's not this happy in front of us and we're chasing after it. We're pursuing the things that make us happy. A little shift, but it gives you a chance to decide what makes you happy. What pushes your joy meter? Where are the areas in your life that you need to make character corrections? You get to decide what are your hobbies, If you want to give it all you've got for your career, this is your time to go for it. Because nobody's going to say, it's 6 o'clock, where are you? How come you're not home yet? Now, how many married people know what I'm talking about? I'm so glad y'all are honest up in here. (laughs) So this is a time for growth, development, and more importantly, two more things, to really work on your relationship with Christ. And then lastly, to really understand what agape love is, not eros love. You know, Eros love is actually instinctual. It's natural. You don't have to grow and develop in that. You just have to do it. But agape, that's some rich stuff. And what happens is if you spend all your time single thinking about having sex and not having sex and when am I going to have sex, then you miss this wonderful opportunity to grow in the areas that allow you to bring a whole person to the covenant. Because how many of you know two broke people don't make a whole marriage? And one and a half broke folks don't make a whole marriage either. It takes two whole people coming in covenant together to make a whole marriage. It doesn't mean that you're perfect, but it means you're bringing the best of who you are at that time into a covenant. And you're wanting to give the best of who you are to somebody else. So when we're constantly thinking about what am I going to get out of marriage when I get marriage, we have already missed our opportunity. And I promise you there are too many marriages that are, that are like that right now, where their minds are constantly on what can my husband do for me? What can my wife do for me? This is your time to learn the value of asking what can I do for my spouse. Amen? Amen. All right, all right. So here we go. Let me get back to my notes because I'll get somewhere and we won't get nowhere. All right. So... <laughs> Excuse me. So, Pastor wanted me to teach on why singles struggle with lining their behaviors up with God's will. And I would say, simply put, not just singles, but all of us 
expect spiritual outcomes from operating in a worldly environment. We expect spiritual outcomes from operating in a worldly environment. We are bombarded all the time with outside messaging. And unfortunately, what happens when we're bombarded, sometimes we don't take the time to challenge those thoughts that come our way that defy or go against the word of God. We kind of accept them as true because it's a part of our natural way of living. We move by what we hear, what we see, and what we feel, but we expect spiritual consequences. And that's just not how life works. Amen? All right. Um, So... Here we go. Stages of change. Anybody ever hear of the stages of change? We're going to talk about those a little bit. And I do have a slide, if it can go up now. Bam. Look at that. Did y'all see me? I did that thing. All right. (laughs) So stages of change. How many of you find it really easy to change? Raise your hand. Find it really easy to change at work? At home? In your relationships? Not in your relationships, okay? I did home. Anybody? Relationships, easy. Work, at home, work, relationships, not work. You said not work. You don't work. I read your lips. You don't work. When you did work, was it easy? Okay. Pay cut, was that easy? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Amen. She says she can change very well. But did you notice maybe two, three people lifted their hands? The rest of us watch this. How many of you find it a little challenging to change? Overwhelming majority of us. It's an area where most of us need to grow up in. So we're going to talk about the stages of change, and I'm going to use an example that we can all relate to, and I don't step on anybody's toes. How about I do that? How about we use driving too fast? (laughs) We won't talk about eating too much, not exercising, not having sex when you aren't married, or having sex when you are married. We won't talk about changing in those areas. We're going to talk about driving. Is that okay to everybody? All right, so let's talk about the stages of change. There are five stages. There's pre-contemplation, contemplation, preparation, action, and maintenance. Now, with pre-contemplations, basically somebody is saying, I don't need to change. I don't have a problem. You got a problem. How many of you know people who are like that? They got a huge problem. And you've been trying to tell them, well, I just want to let you know you can't change anybody. Let it go. Until somebody is ready to change, there's absolutely nothing any of us can do about it. The second one is contemplation thinking about changing. That's when that individual has looked at the circumstances of their behavior and they realize that they've got a problem and they just might need to do something different. And so they're contemplating, how do I make this change? They're thinking about it. Has anybody ever been in contemplation stage? Mm -hmm. Probably half of you are in it right now. But remember, we're talking about driving. So this individual may have just gotten a ticket going, hmm, 55 and a 35. You know, that's expensive and that's a lot of points. So they had a consequence, finally, they got their attention. And then preparation. Preparation stand, <coughs> excuse me, preparation stage or planning stage, as it's sometimes called, is accepting that change is needed. This individual then begins doing research. They may talk to people who have been successful in changing their lives in this particular area. They begin getting a game plan. They might do a schedule or uh, change some behaviors as it relates to their driving. Maybe they even put a bumper sticker on the back of their car, something about Jesus, knowing that if they're, if they're driving too fast, it'll make Jesus look bad. That might help them to slow down. So they've got this action plan for changing the way they drive. That's our preparation. And then you get to action. That's when they actually do what they say they're going to do. They start using their cruise control. They make sure that they look down at the speedometer every 10 seconds. They keep their music low. They avoid playing anything that's got a real good beat to it because they notice when it has a really good beat, they kind of put the gas down a little bit more. Some of you go, oh, that's me. I do that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So we're in action. But if you're in action for 30 days, it doesn't mean very much. It's maintenance. Maintenance is ongoing action for at least or a minimum of six months. And this sounds real easy, right? But how many of you know there's a word called relapse that I didn't talk about? And we oftentimes think of relapse when we think of addicts, yes? But relapse is anything that you miss the mark on. But relapse is not failure. And a lot of people think that they have failed when they relapse. 
Instead, relapse is an opportunity to look at what didn't I do and what can I do so that I can get to maintenance and stay there. So keeping in mind the cycle of change, we're going to go a little, di- little bit deeper into why people don't change. First of all, let me remind you, it always deals with our mind. Remember, our spirits are perfect. And I know some of you may get a little tired or grow weary of hearing about grace. Grace and faith, grace and faith, grace and faith, grace and faith. If nothing else, this ministry speaks it, lives it, talks it every opportunity we get because we recognize there's a disconnect between our faith and grace, and that's called our mind, will, and emotions, or our soul. And the Word of God is very clear. There are so many scriptures that talk about renewing our minds, and yet we ignore that. We feed our mind with what the world tells us, and we are less likely to feed our mind with what the Word of God tells us. This is not an indictment on anybody. I promise you, there are areas in my life that I need more word on, and I know it. And I'm struggling with changing, and I know it's because I've not totally renewed my mind on the subject. See, God loves us, and he wants us to succeed. He wants us to walk into every benefit that he has for us. And so there is redundancy. And I think we're going to stay stuck on grace and faith and grace and faith and grace and faith and renewing your minds until we're all walking in the victory. Anybody want to go there with me? Amen. Amen. So let's talk a little bit about reasons why people don't change. We know the ultimate reason is because we've not renewed our minds. But a lot of times people are just unaware that they need to change. That's the number one reason. They just don't know. Have you ever been around somebody with bad breath? And they're just talking to you as if they got minty fresh stuff going on. And you back up and they back up. They step forward. You're like, well, okay. Then you offer them mints. Tell me y'all have never done it. Amen. Sitting in church. You care for a piece of gum? Oh, no, I don't you come. You're like, oh, geez, I don't have mints today. They don't know that they have bad breath. They just don't know. Well, it's the same in some areas where you need to change. People just don't know, particularly if you live by yourself. Because when you're by yourself, there is not that give and take of sacrifice that naturally comes when you have a roommate, if you have a spouse, if you live with family members. And you and I both know that family members, including spouses, not necessarily your children, but your, your, your parents, cousins, aunties, they will tell you when you are not right in their sight. Especially which one? They will. And we'll correct your subject verb agreement and all kind of stuff. You're like, I'm grown folks. What are you talking to? But he's right. Teenagers will tell you. But when you live by yourself, who's your iron? You don't have that iron. So don't be so hard on people who don't know. Um, They just have to create ways to find out. One thing I encourage people to do, honestly, is ask your friends and family. But don't ask them with closed ears. Ask them with an open heart, because sometimes what you hear may not agree with what you want to hear, okay? So another reason why, and we talked about this a little bit before, let's go to James chapter 1, verses 23 to 24. (coughs) And this is going to be flat foot teaching tonight. James chapter 1, verse 23 through 24. And it says, for if anyone is a hearer of the word... And not a doer. He is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself. He observes himself. He sees himself in the word. He sees himself. He actually can see himself. But what does he do? He goes away. And immediately forgets what kind of man he was. And that's what happens with a lot of people. They'll read the word of God for that day. How many of us do daily devotionals? Most all of us. But how many of us are doing a word study? on any particular subject. That's a whole nother level of hand-raising, isn't it? And the word study is that time to allow the word to go deep into your, your heart, which is your mind, will, and emotion, and help you to change, wash, renew what you're thinking so that you then can line up with the word of God. So people don't change because they don't spend enough time in that word to even find out what God is telling them about themselves. How many of you know God will tell you? God will tell you that your character needs adjusting here or there. But then we have to submit and yield ourselves to being on the potter's will and allow him to mold and shape us according to his will for our lives and not what we think is best for our lives. And what's so interesting is that we quite often, when we get uncomfortable, that's when we get off the potter's wheel. But how many of you know that it's on the other side of your discomfort that you get your victory? It's when you're stretched. Anybody work out in here? 
Y'all know how it feels when those muscles, you work out a little one, yes. And you know how it feels when those muscles start hurting. And when you get up the next morning, you get up and you're like this, oh. And how many of you want to move? The last thing you want to do is work out. But how many of you know if you go and work out, what then happens? The muscles relax. They lengthen. You're able to do more. You actually get stronger than you were before. So you got to go through the discomfort to get to the victory. So allow yourself that time in the Word of God and in the presence of God to find out specifically what he's telling you so that you can grow and find out where you need to change. The next one, number two, some people just don't want to change. Let's keep it real. There are some people who know they got a problem. They got attitudes. No, they cussing folks out. We'll tell you about the people they cussed out. And they are Christians. Love the Lord and don't care to change in that particular area of their lives. Now, don't be too hard on them because y'all know y'all got some areas where you need to change and you have done nothing about it. I've got some areas where I need to change and I've done nothing about it. I'm going to talk about me because I don't want anybody to think I'm talking about them. But we're all there. And one of the reasons that we don't want to change, and I'm talking about good or bad, there's some habits that aren't necessarily sins, but they're weights. They're weights. And we need to recognize if they're weights for us, then that means that it's almost equivalent to sin for us, that it's destructive for us, and we need to let it go. So I might be able to watch some TV shows that, let's say, oh, I'm going to pick on you, Antoinette because I know her, (laughs) can't watch, you know. And I don't watch, I I can't even think of one, because I don't watch many, I I like cop shows. What did you say? She said Scandal. Okay, Scandal. She used Scandal as an example. Not that she watches it, but she gave me that as an example. So I can watch Scandal, one, because if I get all steamy about it, I got somebody I can do something with, right? But in her case right now, that's not the case. What y'all laughing about? Like y'all know. Like y'all don't know that some TV shows can make you steamy. They can. And I can do something about it. Let me go on record. But Antoinette can't do nothing about it in the eyes of God. Let me be clear. And so although maybe watching that show is not sin, But for her, it would most certainly be a weight because it's going to lead her to sin. Amen? So even if something seems to be good, let's say you you drink a lot of orange juice because orange juice is good. But if you've been diagnosed with pre-diabetes, you think you should be drinking orange juice? Of course not. It's loaded with sugar. So you're not going to find in the Bible that orange juice is sinful ever, anywhere, or even a weight But if you know for yourself that's an area you need to change, then make the change. Amen? Okay. So, (coughs) excuse me again. My apologies for coughing at you guys. But I am healed. Let me be clear. I am healed. Those are just lying symptoms. Don't be deceived and don't be distracted. Amen? All right. So, there are those who don't want to change. And I'll tell you the main reason why is that they don't have any reverential fear of the Lord in that particular area of their lives. You know, we don't talk about having reverential fear of God much anymore. We kind of don't even sing about it. Um, There's this divide that seems to be happening in the body of Christ where there are those who read the Old Testament and nothing else, and there are those who never touch the Old Testament. Well, how about God said that every word was for our benefit? Now, there are some things that we're not bound by, but there are some principles that we can get out of it. Well, I want you to know the fear of the Lord isn't just an Old Testament principle. That's also a New Testament principle. The fear of the Lord is reverential awe of God, recognizing that God is holy, respecting him and his power and his authority. It's us acknowledging his presence like we did today. We reverenced God. There was a reverential fear and awareness of him and his holiness. And we didn't want to move, did we? We wanted to honor that. And when we have a reverential fear in our own hearts, our mind, will, and emotions about a subject that God tells us we need to change on, we're more likely to do it. But when we don't have a reverential fear, what happens quite often is we become insensitive to the move of God, particularly in our personal lives. We can watch anything, eat anything, go anywhere, 
say anything, be with anybody, mistreat anybody, steal things, I could keep going. And it just won't bother you because you've lost the reverential fear of God. But God is bigger than us. He's greater than us. He is God Almighty. He is the great I am. And there's got to be an effort on a daily basis to connect with him in that way. Make him bigger than your problems, you will reverence him. Forget that he's bigger than your problems, you will forget about him. You'll find that you'll lift up your hands when you're in church because it's the right thing to do, not necessarily because you believe God is that big. That reverential fear of God keeps you in a holy place. It will sustain you. It will hold you. It will direct you. It will guide you. It will lead you. And it will remind you that God has you. Amen? Amen. So I need to give you all some scripture reference to look at. I guess that's really important too, isn't it? All right. So um, let's look at Jeremiah 32, 38 through 39. I love this scripture, Um, and there are several scriptures in the Old Testament that talk about the fear of the Lord, and many of them talk about various reasons why we should fear the Lord. Um, We talk about it's the beginning of wisdom or the beginning of knowledge, depend on which author it was. But this in particular is a little different. It reads, they shall be my people, and I will be their God, and I will give them one heart and one way, that they may fear me always. Why? Why? for their own good, and for the good of their children after them. God is not asking us to have reverential fear or awe of him because he needs that from us. You know, God Almighty, all by himself, knows he's God Almighty all by himself. He does not need us to say, hallelujah, glory to God, God, you are good, and God, you are great. If you don't recognize that your praise and worship of God, although it's a sweet aroma to him, is more for you than it is for him, then you've missed out on the best part of worshiping God. It takes you above your situation and reminds you that you are not alone, alone, nor are you defeated. It is for our good. Our reverential fear of God is for our good so that we understand his expectations, so we can hear his voice leading us where he would have us to go, so that we will understand that he has a better plan for us, a plan to do us good and not to do us harm. As we reverence him, we let go of the world's idea of what's good, and we cling to God's idea of what's good. And when you have God's idea of what's good, that's lining up with his promise for for you. You will not lack for any good thing. Amen? Amen. And then for all of you who want to see it in the New Testament, Testament, you can go to Acts chapter 9, verse 31. I'm not going there right now, but for yourself, you can go back and look at that because that clock is ticking. And then another reason why people don't change is because quite often it's just too painful. It's too painful. You know, no one can deny the effects of a relationship that's gone wrong or the consequence of an abusive environment or a destructive childhood, nobody could ever deny the consequences of that. We know that people hurt and they suffer as a result. And what all people do, and all of us do it unconsciously, when we feel like our needs are not met, or there's going to, something may happen to us that can hurt or harm us, we put up defense mechanisms. And there are some that are more primal, and some that are more developed. And the more we operate in the primal ones, the less likely we are to be successful in protecting ourselves. And what's worse than anything, when we operate in defense mechanisms, we destroy our relationships. We destroy our future relationships. And we find ourselves in cycles, that cycle of change continually, trying to do better and get better with the people that we love and that we deal with on a daily basis, either in our jobs, in our families, in our marriages, in our dating situations, in our friendships. There are people who run people away all the time and they don't know why they're running them away and they don't know how to stop running them away. And they're pushing them away is simply a defense mechanism because all of us want our needs met. We want to feel safe. We want to feel loved. Of course, we want nurturing to include food. We need shelter. And when we feel like any of those things are threatened in any kind of way, we automatically, unconsciously 
operate in our defense mechanisms. And the main reason why we do it and we stay in these cycles is because we're not trusting God. And you know that trust with God, a lot of times, all of us, we go in, we go out. We go in, we go out. We're in for a long time, and then we step out. And it's based on the circumstances. I think we all know that, right? But there's another level of trust I want to talk about tonight, and it's more about trusting the process. I think a lot of times we're in the midst of something. We can recognize I'm not trusting God, because if you've got friends, they're going to tell you because you're, you, 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 you're, you're dripping when you talk. They can identify and locate where you are just by what you're saying. And your good friend will tell you, baby girl, you're not trusting right now. What can I do to help you? Because iron sharpens iron, right? But there's a process that God has for us that helps us when we're hurting and when we're wounded. And we need to get out of a cycle that we can't get out of. And it's called the Holy Spirit. Now, the Holy Spirit wasn't sent just to fill a void in Jesus' absence. And that's kind of how we talk about him. Like, he's just here, and and that's it. But he has a a specific role and a specific purpose in this dispensation for each and every one of us. And it's that small gift that's under the Christmas tree that a lot of people leave just sitting there, and that's the gift of praying in other tongues. I want to tell you a little bit about who Holy Spirit is. John 14, 26 This is going to be in the King James Version. It says, but the comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance, whatever I have said unto you. All things, not some things, will the Holy Spirit bring to your remembrance. And the part I love, he says, (coughs) all things that I have said unto you. All things. You see, there are times where you get a glimpse of who you are. There are times you can hear Holy Spirit telling you that you're valuable and that you're special. You're destined for greatness, that he loves you, that he cares about you, that he has that special person for you, that if you ever need him, he's always there for you. You'll hear him say those things for you, and then you'll tune it out. And I'll tell you why we do it, because we get our butt in God's way. But I was hurt, but nobody will ever love me but I'll always be by myself, but you don't understand. But I'm not great, but my sister was better, that my parents did this for my sister that they would never do for me, but he left me, but she used me. We put our butt in God's way, and we can't always hear and or remember the valuable things God has sown into us, but the Holy Spirit's job is to bring it back to our remembrance. God sent Holy Spirit as our comforter, He's our helper. He's our intercessor. He's our advocate. He's our strengthener. And he is our counselor. When we allow ourselves to yield to the power of the Holy Spirit by praying in other tongues, we begin praying mysteries, divine secrets between me or you and God, intimate things that only God is going to speak to you and nobody else in a way that only you can understand it. When you allow God to talk to you like that, he can unlock that door that has had you bound for years. He can explain to you exactly what you have repressed and you're trying not to remember it anymore. He'll bring it back to you in a way that it won't cripple you and knock you down. He'll show you the way of escape that you've been looking for. But quite often what we want is for God to just reach in and change us. God, just take it away. Nobody's ever prayed that. God, just take the taste away from me. If you could just take the taste of sex away from me, I'll never have sex again. God, just bind my tongue so I don't cuss folks out. And I'm going to go out on a limb, and if I were a betting woman, I'd lay some money down that it ain't happened for never one of y'all. You can pray that prayer till the cows come home, and you're still bound. But when you surrender to the power of the Holy Spirit, that's what he's here for. Then you can have those chains loosed, the burdens removed, the yokes destroyed. I didn't say that if you didn't receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit that you wouldn't go to heaven. That's what a lot of people think. That's not true. 
Gonna be a whole lot of folks in heaven who ain't praying in tongues. What? But every one of them, I promise you, is gonna wish they had picked up that little box under the Christmas tree. Because you know it's the little box that always has something special in it, right? It's that little box that usually costs a little bit more than what you thought it did. It's that little box that might hold that two-carat weight diamond stud earrings you believe in God for. It's the little box. Trust the process. Trust the process. The very thing that a lot of people are running from, praying in other tongues, is the very thing that you need to make that change in your life you've been trying to change on your own. Does that mean you can read by me some? Because, <laughs> you know, I don't know if y'all hear my husband over here laughing like crazy. They looked at you. Well, see, he already bought me my diamond earrings, for those of y'all who don't know. Praise you the Lord. Amen. Amen. <laughs> um, Romans chapter 8, 26 through 27 says, Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought. For the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints. How? According to the will of God. See, the Holy Spirit is in you, guiding you when you're praying. And when you yield your tongue, he's making those groanings and utterances for you. He's giving you the manner or style in which you're praying. But he's praying specifically for exactly what you need, even when you don't know what to pray. That word weaknesses means sins and failings. All of us fail but we get back up again. And we can get up a lot faster and have to get up a lot less often if we will learn to allow the comforter to pray through us whatever it is that we need from God. He knows the perfect will of God. Yes, we have the mind of Christ, but we're still renewing our minds. We've got the mind of Christ, which is the spirit in us, but we're still renewing our minds. But the Holy Spirit already knows the will of God in every, every situation, lacking none. What better way to go and know that your prayers are precisely what needs to be prayed? Amen? Number four, some people just don't know how to change. As a counselor, I work with a lot of people who come and talk to me, and they know what they need to do. They just don't know how to do it. And the Word of God can give you a lot of what to do, but application becomes the wisdom of God. And so as we learn to seek God for his wisdom, then we are greater in knowing the steps that we have to take. I recognize, though, that sometimes people are bound and they're not able to really enter in and get the wisdom of God for themselves. Well, God knew that. And that's why he said there's nothing wrong with godly counsel. There is an expectation for us to come together and help one another. That's why we have small groups. How many of you all are in small groups? Don't raise your hand. Don't raise your hand. Don't raise your hand. Don't raise your hand. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. I don't want nobody in condemnation. But I want to talk about the power of small groups and even the power of the dream team. Because, see, when you fellowship with people, you can walk in and try to fake like everything's okay. They're going to call you out. Because, see, our pride gets in the way because the world has told us we're supposed to John Henry and everything is supposed to be fine. But that's not real world. God told us that we confess, we can confess our faults one to another that we might be healed. The effectual, fervent prayer of the righteous availeth much. And so when we come together in small groups, when we come together working together in dream team, you've got a comrade, somebody in arms, somebody who loves you and somebody who loves the Lord who's going to tell you the truth and help you along the way so that you can be successful. Then God has also given you other godly counsel in the form of your pastors, your ministers, and even your minister who has a licensed associate professional counselor's license, something like that. 
There are so many resources to get the steps on how to, if you want to. Amen? All right. I'm going fast. What was the last one I told you? Don't know how to change? Yeah. Uh, read this later. James chapter 1, verse 5 through 8. It talks about if you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that gives, gives to all men liberally and upbraideth not. God is not withholding wisdom. It's always available. But you got to come without doubting. And then James chapter 5, verse 16, that's the part that I just quoted to you about confessing your faults one to another. The last one is last reason why people don't change is because they have no fight. Change will never come without a fight. And a lot of people are wanting to prepare themselves for marriage. Remember, we talked about this a little earlier. This is your time to get to know who you are, what you want, what you like, your hopes, your dreams, to really dig in, to work on your character. Because if you're going into marriage asking what can your spouse do for you, then you've missed the beauty of marriage. Did anybody remember me saying that? I said it again because I thought that was important. Okay? And so if you are really determined to be all that you can be, to enjoy being single and living single to the full, then there is a part of you that has to be willing to fight. Because it ain't going to happen if you don't fight. You know, there is a scripture, I think it's 2 Chronicles, okay, I can't remember, I got to look up, 2 Chronicles 2015. And that's when Jehoshaphat, did I say it right? Jehoshaphat heard from God about going to war against five armies. And he told him that the battle was the Lord's. I have delivered them into your hand. And so they do what? They go. They did what? They went. They had to go. They didn't sit there and wait to see if the armies were delivered. They literally got up and they went. And God, true to form, did what he said he would do. The enemies turned on each other and slaughtered one another. And Israel was victorious. So a lot of people say, well, the battle's not mine. The battle's the Lord's. And they do nothing. But there's so many scriptures that talk about resist the devil and he'll flee from you. To fight the good fight of faith. I'm going to say that one again. To fight the good fight of faith. God reminds us that the weapons of our warfare are not mighty, or that are, are mighty through God, but they're not carnal. To the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. That's warfare. We are fighting. We're fighting 24-7, 365. There is a spiritual battle going on. And I promise you, the world is designed to steal every promise, every victory, every deliverance, every word of God that has been spoken into your life. Every one. And it happens just like that. It says that when the word of God is sown, Mark talks about this, when the word of God is sown in your heart, that the enemy comes immediately to steal it. You are in a warfare. And I wish right now that God could pull back the curtain and let us see who's in here who's with us. You know, our angels hearken to the voice of the word of God that we speak. They minister to the heirs of salvation. Are there any heirs of salvation in here? Now, there's some big dudes up in this room. Y'all think y'all big. Y'all ain't got nothing on our angels. So if we're not speaking anything, they can't do anything. If you're not resisting, then the enemy's got you. We're not wrestling against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, rulers of darkness in high places. That's what we're fighting against. And yet, in the natural, based on what we see, what we hear, and what we feel, we fight each other. So we can't change because we're fighting the wrong enemy. Isn't that funny? We talk about each other. <laughs> we really do. Won't help each other. Don't ask for too much. Now, if I'm on my way to the store and you need me to pick you something up and on my way home, I can drop it off, then I'm good. 
but don't call me and ask me to drive 45 minutes out of my way to buy you something and bring it to your house, although you're by yourself. You don't have anybody to help you and you're dealing with the flu. See, I'm not your enemy and you're not my enemy. But we have a real enemy that's kicking our butts and we should be kicking his butt every day. So you got to fight if you want to change. It's a real fight. And that means you fight to get out of the bed in the morning. You fight to get in your prayer closet. You fight to study the word of God. You fight to put a guard on your mouth that you won't speak anything contrary to what God is saying. You fight to put blinders on your eyes from the world's views. You fight to put something over your ear gate so that you're only hearing what reinforces what God has promised you. You fight to speak what God has said about you, particularly the single people, that you are wonderfully and masterfully made, that he has a mate for you, that he has made a way out of nowhere, that in you is no lack or slack or want, that you are prosperous, you are victorious, and that you are overcomers, that God loves you in all your singleness. So if you're having difficulties changing, Spend some time in the presence of God. Reverence him. If you don't pray in other tongues, we're going to have an altar call. Come on down. We'll get that taken care of. Allow your comforter to be your comforter. Talk to people who can tell you where you need to change and be open to hear it. And remember, none of us is perfect. We all need to change. And our goal is to change into the image and likeness of Jesus Christ more and more from glory to glory unto his return. Amen? Amen. All right. Well, I am not taking this for granted. I know that the overwhelming majority of you here are saved sanctified, filled with the Holy Ghost, on fire for the Lord, hungry to live your lives according to his will and purpose. But we have a special gift called Jesus. He's so sweet. 